What's up, everybody? I am your host, Lieutenant Trigger Happy, and that is my co-host, Captain Two Packs a Day. And welcome to the 33rd Precinct of the Grindhouse Police Department, where we love blood splatter and your rights don't matter. And today, we are covering another Grindhouse classic, William Lutzik's Maniac Cop from 1988. I just realized that this movie came out the same year as Child's Play. And the same year as you. And same year as me. It it kinda has a similar vibe to Child's Play. Like the cop. It has the it has the killer that nobody believes, and it has the people that nobody believes, and the police, like the cops are like and there's that one detective that's like on the case. Yeah, it has a has a kind of similar has a similar vibe to it. The whole so the action stuff at the end, the 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 car, the cop car flipping. Uh, well, I can't remember if that was a cop car or a regular car. It did the old, the, the regular old, car, uh, the the one wheel ramp that yep. they used to flip cars with. One thing I can say about Child's Play, uh, is that I felt like Child's Play kept that horror feel through the entire movie, whereas I feel like this movie kind of turns into an action movie towards the end. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, so this is a fan request. We finally got back around to doing those. Sorry it took so long. We had a very, very busy couple of months. But um, I have seen this movie uh, once or twice, um, I have some memories of the second one. I don't know if I've seen the whole entire second one from start to finish in the same sitting. I had no idea there was a third one. Um, and this is a first time watch for Jordan here. So, uh, gonna be, gonna be an interesting episode, I think. Yeah. Yeah. If, if I had seen it before, I was, it had to been when I was really young. Uh, first time in my adult life paying attention. But first, if you want to stay up to date on what is going on with us or the show, talk about or submit your movie request, or just say hey, you can always find us at one of our social media accounts or our official website at grindhousehorrorpod.com. Facebook at the Grindhouse Syndicate Horror Podcast, Instagram at grindhousesyndicate.horror.pod, and many more, which you can find links for in the show notes as always. And please subscribe or follow for alerts on new episodes. And if you really love us and don't want us to shoot first and ask questions later, give us a review. Maniac Cop is a 1988 American action slasher film directed by William Lutzig, who um, did a did a film we recently covered, which was 1980s Maniac, and it was written by Larry Cohen. It stars Tom motherfucking Atkins, who I feel like this guy's born to play cops. Like I went and looked at his IMDb. And he's played so many fucking cops or, you know, just like authority figures in general. I mean, even in shows, like he's been in a ton of shows. He even like played a cop in a movie like recently. I mean, as as a older of a gentleman as he is, he's still playing. He should be playing the captain or the commissioner at this point. Should be playing retired at this point. Yeah. Uh, you, th- 
you think they get tired? Like, there's there's actors that that happens to. You think they ever get tired of cop roles? Or they just really enjoy it? I don't know, man. I feel like this guy digs it, but I, you know, I like I like Tom Atkins. I thought I thought he was great. I really liked him in this movie. I've seen him in other stuff before, and I don't really have anything negative to say about him. I think if you're gonna have somebody have to play a cop, I'd rather it be somebody like this than like the girl we've seen in the possession of Hannah Grace. This is mm-hmm. this is a way more believable cop than Yeah, you're talking about Mrs. Freeze uh gets her partner yeah, shot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The the Xanax Queen. Yep. Uh so we yeah, we got Tom Atkins, we got Bruce motherfucking Campbell. Lorene Landon, Richard Roundtree, a.k.a. Shaft, William Smith, Robert Zadar, and Cherie North. Zadar plays the title character, a murderous ex-police officer returned from the dead and seeks revenge on the people who wronged him. It is the first installment in the Maniac Cop film series. The film was released on May 13, 1988 and grossed Six hundred and seventy-one thousand dollars worldwide, on a budget of one point one million. Wonk, wonk, and it is eighty-five minutes long. <laughs> Jeez, man, that's a lot of lot of money to lose. Well, it was only released in fifty theaters, but we'll get to that. Hold on. So the film was followed by two sequels, which is Maniac Cop 2 in 1990 and Maniac Cop 3 Badge of Silence in 1993. It had a limited theatrical release in the U.S. at Grindhouse Theaters and Midnight Movie Showings. Despite failing to recoup its cost, the video rights sales shot through the roof due to the huge demand for horror-related films in the U.S. rental market. This is what ultimately led to two sequels being made, driven exclusively by the demand from the video rental market. This film was released on DVD on April 8, 1998 by Elite Entertainment, which included commentary by director William Lutzick, producer Larry Cohen, composer Jay Chataway, and star of the film Bruce Campbell. So Variety called it a disappointing thriller that wastes an oddball premise. The New York Times called it an amateurish film with stuff with stuff with stiff acting and dialogue. Chris William of the Los Angeles Times wrote that the film quickly becomes an uninteresting Friday the 13th. No, 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 it's not a Friday the 13th. And I, I said disagree. I said Mr. William, sir did you even watch this film? <laughs> Probably not. There is not any similarity. No. Except for people get killed between this and Friday the 13th. They don't even feel the same. No. They, they don't like have the same type of slasher feel to them at all. No. One of them takes place in the woods, and one of them takes place in the complete opposite of the woods. The middle of fucking New York City. Yeah, I think that this uh, Chris Willman should have been fired. (laughs) He's obviously terrible at his job. But Jay Hernando of Screen Archery wrote that despite its faults, 
Maniac Cop deserves mention as one of the last grindhouse films set in New York City. Tom Becker of DVD Verdict called it a fun, mindless gore fest. According to an interview with William Lutzik, one day Larry Cohen called him up on the phone and asked him why he never made a sequel to his 1980 film Maniac. Lutzik said that he felt satisfied with how he ended the story and just didn't see a need to make another one. So Cohen then asked him, well, what about a maniac cop? And Lutzik loved the idea and pretty much took off from there. Well, that's all it took. Yeah. Just add a cop to it. They called up Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi, who, if you don't know, did Evil Dead. And they all met up in New York for the St. Paddy's Day Parade. They shot the footage of Bruce running around during the parade. Uh, by the way, some of that footage was actually shot by Raimi, and they used that footage to secure the funding for the film. Yeah, so I got this kind, all this information actually from a really good interview with, um, which I think it's like four years old from um, Lessig himself, and I'm going to put a link for the interview in the show notes. And if you're a fan of this movie, man, check this interview out because he. He doesn't just talk about this movie. He actually um, goes into a little bit of, of the stuff about the second one and the third one as well. I, I want to say it's about a 20 or 30 minute long interview, but um, it's pretty good. I'm glad to, to hear that some of the critics, you know, point out that it's a good movie. It, it's fun. These these movies aren't supposed to be like the the most crazy psychological most in-depth stories they're fucking fun horror movies i um you know i i don't like to talk about my my opinion too much until the very end but i had a blast with this movie and i think that this movie looks really good for a for one a grindhouse movie and for two a movie made on you know 1.1 million dollars it looks like a good movie like it's it's uh camera work is good the acting isn't terrible i mean they have some good actors in it and there's I, some bad i didn't act- think the acting was bad no that i mean there's some not great actors in it but there's some good actors in it too um i don't think any of the acting was like stood out to me as really bad yeah this is a in my opinion this is a fun movie this is definitely fun um so the ratings rotten tomatoes gave it a 53 percent imdb a six out of ten letterbox gave it a 3.1 out of five and google has a 90 percent like rate for this movie if you would like to watch this movie you can find it streaming on voodoo pluto plex amazon prime amc plus peacock and tubi Plot time. So we start off with a bartender named Cassie who works at a bar that is kind of like a cop hangout, like a cop bar. I guess I guess I guess those exist. I've never been a cop, so I don't know. But um, they show in there is just nothing but like cops hanging out in there. This is 100 percent a cop bar, cop bar for sure. Um, But she's getting off work and she's heading out the door and down the street and on her way home and a couple blocks away we see her get jumped by two young men trying to rob her. And one of the dudes uh, straight up punches her in the face. But Cassie's a bad bitch. She ain't having it. 
she is able to fight the attackers off and run away. That just got like bricks in her purse. She did you see the first shot she put on that guy? Like it yeah, she laid him took out. his fucking feet from under him. I can't believe how well she took that punch. Like he yeah. punched her. Like he 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 put his body weight into hit into that hit, and she falls back, and the other guy like catches her, and then she immediately bounces back from that. Like she she's fucking like, bad. Little do they know, I have a fucking purse full of bricks that yep. I'm about to beat the fuck out of them with. But they begin to uh, chase behind her. She runs into a playground and attempts to hide, but the two men almost find her. She then spots a police officer some distance away and begins to run towards him, yelling, Officer. The cop is big, tall, and features mostly hidden by the shadows. He doesn't move or respond to Cassie until she runs right up to him to explain what has happened. The cop then wraps his hands around her neck, picks her up high off the ground, and snaps her neck. We then cut to a shot of the robbers watching the cop throw Cassie's body on the ground. And that is how you choke a bitch. Yeah, that's a wrap on Cassie. God, this poor woman. They're like... Talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Not only does she end end up getting mugged, but she gets away and runs into a, a serial killer. Yeah, yeah, she'd just been better off just getting robbed. You know it's bad when the robbers... Feel bad. They wince. You know, like, <laughs> when when her neck snaps and they both, like, wince, like they, they want to look away. Yeah, that's, that's, that's rough. The guy who just, like, fucking Mike Tyson punched yeah. him in the face... Now feels bad for you. The next morning, we see the police have found Cassie's body. They seem to be investigating the scene when another cop car shows up with the two robbers from the night before inside. And as they are being arrested, they try to tell the officers that it was a cop who killed Cassie. Why the fuck did they bring those dudes there? Like, is there like a like a law in New York where like you gotta arrest them in front of the body? Like, why would they bring them to the scene of this murder to arrest them? I don't know. Just take them straight to the jail. Like, we're going to show Cassie's dead body. We got the guys who (laughs) killed her. (laughs) Oh, so when they head on over to the New York Medical Examiner's office, where we meet one of our main characters, Detective Frank McRae, and he is there with another detective, didn't get his name because he's not really important. But McCray meets with the medical examiner who, by the way, has one hell of a mullet. He's got autopsies in the front and party in the back. Yeah, this this was the, the hair of the time. He It's weird seeing like such a professional person with that hairstyle. He's got to let people know that he still gets down he when gets, he's off yeah, at work. Yeah. Yeah, autopsies in the front. I bump a little blow here and there. Everybody does it. Drink a little Jack. And he explains that the neck was broken uh, similar to a hanging, but also in a way where the victim was jerked violently. Frank gets upset by this. He says he knew Cassie really well from the bar. Um, he, He says she always had the latest jokes. Like, like jokes come out of like a joke factory. <laughs> like somebody right now is working on 2025 jokes. 
Like, like she had the inside scoop on all the newest jokes. He said that. I was like, what does that mean? (laughs) Must have been. She must have paid for the like the membership to the comedy club. She gets all the all the new jokes. She must have had comedy's Patreon. She got them all before anybody else. She had all the latest jokes. (laughs) What? But Frank doesn't believe uh, the two Puerto Rican men were capable of these injuries, and he thinks it could have been a cop like they described. Uh, We then jump to a couple who seem like they are on a date. They are riding in the boyfriend's car when uh, he then stops at a red light. He leans over to start like playfully kissing the girl, and all of a sudden, a cop walks up, knocks on the window. Using only his hand, the cop motions for the boyfriend to exit the car and stand in front of the headlights. He agrees, and we then see him performing a uh, like a drunk driving coordination test for the officer. And the girlfriend, uh, she's like sitting in the car, casually watching this, when she suddenly sees the cop pull a long blade hidden inside of his nightstick. He slashes the man's throat and then throws him onto the windshield of the car. The girlfriend becomes hysterical as she attempts to get into the driver's seat to escape. At this point, the windshield is shattered and the man's blood is splattered on the front of it. And and somehow threw it too. I was confused at how they did that. If you he see, threw him like, really hard. Yeah, like <laughs> some of his blood, he, he threw him so hard that his blood the liquid literally went through the molecules of the solid glass and into the car well you know you weren't there you can't say you can't say it that's not i was there no i was i was filming that oh i seen it happen i love this kill though he did the the devil slash it almost looked like he slashed him across the face and then across the throat yeah he did like a like almost like a z without the you know without the third zora yeah it was good Good shit. Despite not being able to see out of the front of the car, she is able to put it in drive and quickly speed off down the street. The next day, Frank goes to see the police commissioner about his theory. He informs him that they now have three different witnesses from two different murders that all say it was a cop. The commissioner doesn't think it's an officer but does agree to allow Frank to look into the department for a suspect as long as he keeps it quiet. Later that night, we see a man walk to his car and place an instrument case in his trunk. As he goes to get into the driver's door, the maniac cop comes up behind him, places his hands behind his back while putting handcuffs on him. The man panics and runs off when he sees the cop pull the long blade from his nightstick. Yelling for help as he runs down the street, and after a few minutes, the man attempts to get help from residents of an apartment building but gets turned away. He starts running down the sidewalk again when bam, he fucking trips and falls face first into a small section of wet concrete. We then see the maniac cop walk up behind him and push his face down further into the concrete as he struggles. Essentially, he gets drowned in concrete. And that is a first. I think that's, I haven't seen a drowning in concrete. Would it be drowned or would it be smothered? Because it's not quite a liquid. It's still liquid. Not quite it's a not, solid. It's not a solid yet. It's still liquid. 
You know, I gotta say, how late did they board this fucking sidewalk? Like, it's New York, this man. This is like People, it, it's 24 hours. Everybody's constantly doing shit all the time. Yeah, it's the middle of the night, and this is like concrete that was just poured. And not only that, they don't like have it coned off or anything. It's New York. It's it's 80s New York, too. It's dangerous. They didn't have cones. That I'll just say that sidewalk was destined to get fucked up. Oh, yeah. You Somebody poured, at least going to walk through it. Yeah, you poured a thing of, of concrete and left it there in the middle of the night with, with nothing, like, blocking it off. I, I don't know. I've never poured concrete, but to me, that looked like concrete that uh, had, was just poured. Um, no, I, po- I poured concrete one summer for a job long time ago, and we did a back porch, and... um. No, it's it's still soft. Like it didn't, you know. We had to tell the people, you know, make sure not to touch it or anything until like ten a.m. the next day. So yeah, but it, but, but you know, like, I wasn't there at night time, so I can't say how soft it was. But I don't think so soft. Like I poured concrete for like pillars for a fence. No, um, we did like a whole like a came out of a truck, like a truck. Yeah, with a so thing. I've never done like flat concrete. But uh, I would imagine that if it was poured during the day and this is like 12 or 13 hours later, it wouldn't be still so wet you could drown somebody in it. This, um, this is a creative kill, though. It is. This is a, a cool idea. I love the shot, too, that they shoot, they, they flip over to of the next morning and they're having to use the jackhammer to break the concrete up and the guy's face is stuck into it. Yeah, uh, the next morning, we see two workers using jackhammers removing the now-hardened concrete. So this man's body, no no one no one called the police or nothing all night. This man's body sat there all night and hardened in the concrete. And, uh, you know, nobody wants a sidewalk with a dead man's face imprinted into it. I don't know. Yeah, I feel I like know. somebody was like, yeah, re- remove that. <laughs> <laughs> So that night, we see Frank at a bar. His jacket he's uh, he's wearing here uh, reminds me of space. Hmm. Didn't notice the space jacket. Really? It's so it's black with white specks all over it. It's very eighties, but that it's very space. Definitely sounds like uh, space. Yep, it's very very space. Um, but he meets a friend of his that's uh, a news reporter. And he gives her a thick folder with all the details from the murders. And he asks her to go public with the story. The next day, we see a random lady sitting in her car listening to the news story about the maniac cop. As the story is ending, she notices a police car pull up behind her. We see a very nervous look on her face as the officer approaches her vehicle from behind. Maybe she's got kilos in the trunk. Yeah, maybe. She's acting a little too nervous. Well, she's just, she literally, in her defense, the radio was literally playing them talking about a cop murdering people. Or she has drugs in her trunk. I'm just Probably saying. both. This is New York. We see her attempt to drive away, but the car won't start. The officer knocks on her window and she pulls a pistol from her purse shooting the officer right in the forehead while saying, you're not going to get me. 
And it turns out it was just a regular cop. She definitely had kilos. When they kind of show the cop laying in the street with the hole in his head, that looked good. Yeah. That was a good job. Yeah, I put in my notes that that was a fucking awesome shot in the head. I thought the whole thing, like how they, how he falls back and the, the bolt hole comes through the top of his head. Uh, I thought the whole thing was done good. Yeah. We, we don't get a, a shit ton of practical effects in this movie. Um, at least not in detail, but I thought they did a good job with this. This um, this one was actually in running for uh, my favorite kill. I won't tell you if it got it or not, but uh, there was this one and like two other ones I was kind of bouncing around with. Yeah, same. It wasn't this one. This wasn't one of them, but there was a couple. So now, uh, because of the news story, everybody is accusing different cops of being the maniac. The police captain is pissed. Tourism is down, and it's costing taxpayers millions. Thanks, Frank. Yeah, as a detective, you would think he would have seen how this was gonna going to go. Going public with this was going to be a really bad idea. Well, he, you know, especially he, with with New York cops in the eighties, there was already a lot of what we know in real life, a, a lot of uh, shady shit going on, a lot of mistrust between the public and the police. Yeah. You know, I, I don't really understand quite why he did it either because he kind of got what he wanted, which was the commissioner allowing him to investigate other cops. And I'm not really sure what his reasoning for doing that. It would make more sense if they were like, no, you can't investigate cops. And he was like, I've got to do something because I know this is a cop. I think that uh, he really doesn't like the commissioner. And I think the commissioner calling him out about his attempted suicide after his partner died was a fucking low blow. Thought that was really shitty. And I I just think he just doesn't like the commissioner and he wants rid of him. You know, one of the things that really won me over with Frank was when he was in that meeting with the commissioner and the commissioner said, you don't smile much. And then he does that very obvious fake smile i was like oh i like this guy i liked when the commissioner was like um have we have we had a a psychological checkup with you or we haven't had one with you lately either and he looked at him and he just i don't know why the line he was just anytime commissioner i was like this guy's good i knew right then he was gonna be one of my favorite characters but one thing uh, we learn the news story did accomplish, the commissioner and police captain now believe Frank was right and the killer is a cop working in the department. We then meet another one of our main characters, a local police officer named Jack Frost. Jack. <laughs> <laughs> named, just- Jack named Jack Forrest. God damn. I just looked at that in my notes and thought about how close that was to Jack Frost. Damn. Like, I didn't realize how close that was to Jack Frost. I didn't either. <laughs> Jack, Did his, you type it, Jack no, Frost? No, I typed it Jack Forrest. That goddamn Jack Frost. His name is Jack Forrest, not Jack Frost. It it, <laughs> it looks like Jack Frost when you're reading it fast. Um, <laughs> I was, when I was editing the the last episode when I said what did I say that I just read right over something um and I can oh the um the crow was crowing 
<laughs> I was like, wait, crowing? Isn't that like calling? It was calling. I typed calling, but I was like, I said crowing. It, crowing makes more sense. And then um, there was another one. I said the animal rights people instead of the animal rights activists. They're just people. They're people, too. Yeah. So him and his wife have been having some marriage problems. She's, you know, she's cold because he's Jack Frost. And uh, we see that she has uh, become obsessed with the Maniac Cop news story. And she begs Jack to stay home from work tonight. He refuses and heads out the door. She receives a phone call berating her about her husband being the killer. She suspects him and decides to follow him on his way to work. You know what's wrong with the wife? He's not giving her the carrot. Yeah, that's this is true. Not giving her the old carrot. Her coat looks like it was made out of a shower curtain. I was actually confused if that was a coat or a nightgown. It, it kind of looks like she just tied up her nightgown. Her shiny, silky nightgown and took off out the house. No, and she's like, like, why would you wear that? When she's walking down the street, it's like stiff and plastic, like a shower curtain. It's a shitty nightgown. It's fucking, <laughs> oh my God. It's awful. I, I remember back, you know, when I was a little kid and there was like these, it was almost like they made clothes out of like bendable plastic. It. I think that's kind of what it was. It was like that. It was like almost waterproof material, but it wasn't breathable. So you would like fucking burn up in it. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible outfit. Or she made a coat out of her shower curtain. It could be that. You know? Maybe that's why he's such an asshole to her. She dresses Tied like shit. Of her dressing like shit. Wearing shower curtains around. She, You know it's the 80s. She's probably like every one of her outfits probably has shoulder pads. She has those... um. Like the dresses that go like pretty much down to her calves that have all those flowers and roses all over them like the kindergarten teachers used to wear. Yeah. And you're like, damn, that's cool when you're a kindergarten teacher, but that ain't sexy when you come <laughs> home. That's so unattractive. <laughs> so she, she may be a kindergarten teacher. I don't think she, I think she just stays home. She's a stay at home kindergarten teacher. Yeah. Um, so she follows him to a rundown motel and, uh, she somehow gets a key to his room, which doesn't really say that. It's a cheap ass hotel in the eighties. Sure. Sure. You probably could. My husband just came in here and got a key and then he lost it. So can I get another key? (laughs) Um, so she sneaks into the room where she finds Jack having sexual relations with another cop. A fe- let, a wait, fe- wait, let, let me rephrase that. A female cop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, so when I seen the two hats on the chair, this being the first time, I thought for sure that he was going to be fucking a guy. Um. <laughs> like I was like 90% sure. I was like, oh shit, that's where we're going here. Very okay, surprised. Bru- you know, that's very progressive of you, Bruce Campbell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I read that. Having sexual relations with another cop. I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, she gets pissed and pulls a small gun from her purse. Jack tries to calm her down, but she gets upset and runs out of the hotel room. We see crying. Uh, we see her crying while walking down the street in front of the motel when suddenly the maniac cop pops out of the side of a van and grabs her. 
He pulls her in quickly and slides the side door shut and the screen goes black. You know, I got to say, Jack's Jack's a fucking asshole. The whole beginning scene of like their first interactions and he's totally being a I mean, he's being a dick to his wife. I get it. They're having some problems. But then when she walks in on them, the first thing he says, why did you follow me? Like, that's such a <laughs> gaslighting thing to do. Like, you you, you followed me here. Like, do you not trust me? Well, I'm in bed fucking another woman. And then he, he, he was fucking her, like, literally, like, two blocks from his house. He walked there. Yeah, and then the next thing he says is, like, I didn't want you to find out like this implying that he was eventually going to tell her, which you know damn well he was not eventually going to tell her. He was not because he's like an asshole to her before he leaves the house, and then he's all sweet to her before he leaves. He's totally one of those like just uh, playing with her emotions really hard. Well, he does that too, you know, um, like rewind back to the apartment where he's, you know, she's, She's talking about how she has all these worries about him going to work and her being home there alone. And he's really trying to be like, well, you know, you're the one who didn't want to go to the therapist anymore. And you're the one who did this. And you're the and and it's like, man, you're just like beating her down. Like she's talking about how scared she is. And there is a serial killer around. Yeah. Um, he's and like- he's dressed as a cop. So there's that. And you're not helping this situation at all. You're you're definitely making it worse. Yeah, he's he literally tells her like, "Well, just lock the door, and and you have a gun anyway. You know how to use it." And then like the last thing she says to him is, is uh, "Be careful," or "Be safe," or something like that. And he like chuckles at her, and he's like, "You say that every day." Like he's aggravated. <laughs> what that a she loser! Tells him. Yeah. <laughs> What a loser. Yeah, you a, want me to be careful. You're such a loser. Serial killer out around our neighborhood, and you're going to tell me to be safe? Like, bitch, I am the one who knocks. Yeah. Uh, the next morning, a maid enters Jack's motel room for cleaning. We assume Jack uh, and the female cop probably left after sexy time um, because they're not there. And while cleaning, the maid finds Jack's wife's body in the bed with her neck viciously slashed open. I mean, it's like a fucking two, two and a half inch, like, gash. Like, it, it, it it's big. It's yeah. not like a small gash. It's very large. Yes. OJ would take pride. Yes. This, th- this is, this is, a this, this could have possibly inspired um, OJ. Yeah. Yeah. He may have watched this before his killings that he didn't commit. That he was acquitted of. The glove don't make, fit. Make sure that you make sure that you say that he was acquitted. The next day at work, Jack gets arrested for the murder of his wife. And Captain Ripley sounds like he smokes nine and a half packs of cigarettes a day. A <laughs> man's got the most graveliest voice ever. He's been a cop for a long time. Yeah, that's just he's seen know, a lot of shit. Comes with the, it comes with the shit as the gravelly voice. Frank and Ripley are uh, grilling Jack hard over the murders. Jack is, of course, denying it. Jack's lawyer comes in to talk about his defense because, I mean, even he believes Jack is the killer. Jack says that he has a witness that can clear his name, 
but this person was with him when the murders took place. But he doesn't want to bring her into this unless he has to. Fuck well, that, dude. I would have fucking mentioned her name the moment I went into that room. Yeah, I don't care what fucking scenario this is. When you were being pinned as a serial killer, it's, I mean, I mean, even just about protecting her career at that point. Like, you're literally going to lose your life. I mean, even just killing his wife. Yeah. You know, like, even one murder, I'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. You got to get her in here because she was there. Like, I wouldn't give a shit about protecting. She was doing something bad, too. She was sleeping with a, with a, a married she's man. She's a homewrecker. Yeah. She is. Fuck so, her. you know, like, she ain't innocent. I'd like, yeah, yeah, you need to talk to her because she was there. She was with me. And after my wife left, we decided, you know, we already got caught. We might as well fuck anyway. So then we fucked and then we left. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, fuck yeah, no. this is, that was crazy to me. It didn't make any sense at no, no scenario in real life would somebody literally go down for murdering somebody or being a serial killer at that to protect somebody that they were cheating on their well, wife with. You know, one thing that that's never mentioned that I thought about after the movie too, it was that. He he's really lucky that Teresa is on his side too, because obviously, after the shit at the hotel, they left. For at at some point, they left because the body was put in there. So if you're her, you're fucking this guy. His wife comes in, gets mad, pulls a gun, leaves. Y'all leave, and then you find out the next day that her body was found. With her throat cut in that same hotel that y'all were in, that only y'all had access to, you would think, in her point of view, she would wonder like, did he kill his wife? Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they were maybe they were together the rest of the night, just not at the hotel. I don't know. But um, I mean, he he almost acts like, well, I'm just not gonna bring her up unless this thing just gets real bad, and it's like. Yeah, it's, Dude, it's this bad. thing's bad. Like, it's not like they're questioning you or they suspect you did it. Like, you've been arrested. Yeah. You're it, in the paper. Yeah, when, <laughs> like, when, the, when the captain of your police department is literally grilling you about being a serial killer and killing your wife, yeah, you're, you're, you're done. He's like, I, I guess I'll just wait till trial. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's a good time. Later that night, we see Frank and Captain Ripley discuss the case, and it turns out Frank actually does believe Jack was set up. That the only reason he hasn't brought forth his alibi is because he is protecting someone else. We then see Frank visit Jack in jail, where Jack finally tells Frank about his ongoing affair with a female cop named Teresa Mallory. Congratulations. Yeah, it does say that. Bro, you know everybody in that police department wants to fuck Officer Mallory. Yeah. When the first thing he says when he finds out who it is, he doesn't say anything but congratulations. He's he's, he's like, almost oh, kind of speechless at first, too. Like, there's a little gap in time where he doesn't say anything. Like, I almost thought he was, like, not going to believe him. And then he drops congratulations, and I was like, man, she must be, like, the star of the... She obviously is. Yeah. Like, he was almost, like, he was impressed. Yeah. It's like, congrats. How, how'd you pull that one? 
So Frank knows her and decides to go find her and speak to her about Jack and the affair. So it turns out Teresa is undercover as a prostitute and she is working the streets. And after totally blowing her cover, which I don't understand, I don't get, I don't get that part. Um, she walks into an alleyway to you have know, a smoke. She doesn't blow her cover. Yes, yeah, she does. So, um, that guy pulls up in the car and she walks over and he's like, Hey, do you want to go somewhere nice? And she's like, not really. I'm pretty comfortable here. And, uh, he's like, well, don't you want to, don't you want to do something? And he, and she goes, well, why don't you be more specific? And he goes, Oh, you're a cop. And she's like, Oh, well, I can't arrest you for saying that. No. Like she totally is he, like not not doing that thing at all where she's like, Oh yeah, you know, I'm not a cop. You're crazy. No, no, I took that and I thought she did a pretty good job with it. He asks her if she's a cop and she very sarcastically blows it off. And then uh she's like, you know, why don't you go home to your wife and kids? And he was like, Well, that's what I was doing before I seen you. And uh, she never gives up that she's a cop. She's supposed she, to be trying to arrest. She's supposed to be talking him into it. Like, yeah. hey, you know, don't go to your wife and kids. Well, why, don't, why don't we go around the corner so I can fucking arrest you? I don't know. There's probably a... It seemed like she just wasn't into it. There's entrapment ro- rules and stuff. That's, I think that's why she wanted him to be more specific. She wanted him to come out and say, like, hey, I'll pay you to fuck you. But I didn't think she blew her cover at all. I thought he asked her if she was a cop, and I thought she very sarcastically blew it off and played it off pretty well. I thought she played a really good prostitute. <laughs> Not going to lie. <laughs> um, and and except for that fucking 80s hair. Holy shit. Yeah, that's it's pretty her 80s. Hair was, and she has that. I thought that was just like, undercover hair she has that hair the whole rest of the movie yeah that fucking well when she's dressed up as a prostitute she's got that thing like hair sprayed up mm-hmm. like she went through a fresh can she's that hair a, she's in a van halen video yes it, yes she looks like she was in every van halen video Def leopard too uh that hair is the most 80s fucking thing in this whole movie it blows that mullet away. <laughs> so uh, after this, she walks into an alleyway to have a smoke. And we then see a Frank pulling up to the corner Teresa was just standing at. Did you hear one of the hookers yell, hey, Frank, when he drove by? Oh, I didn't catch that. <laughs> <laughs> didn't catch that at all. Yeah, you go, Frank. You go, man. Yeah. He's been out there trying to... to uh, Pick up Officer Mallory. Yeah, um, <laughs> I guess uh, they probably don't know his name from him busting them because he's like a murder detective. So I, I guess he frequents. I don't know. Them. They know his real name. Maybe he frequents them a lot. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. She's like, "Hey, Frank," and he <laughs> kind of like waves at her and draws past. That's probably waves her off. <laughs> get get the fuck out of here. <laughs> oh. While in the alley, Teresa sees the maniac cop standing in the shadows. She thinks he is a fellow officer and tries to show him her badge and explain that she is undercover. He grabs her by the neck and throws her to the ground. She then pulls up. He then pulls his long blade from his nightstick. She pulls her gun from her purse and begins to shoot him repeatedly. 
Frank hears the shots and pulls into the alley and also begins firing his gun at the killer. Despite many rounds hitting him, the bullets seem to have no effect. He strikes Frank's hand with the blade, causing Frank to drop his gun. Frank quickly picks up the pistol and resumes shooting, but when he looks up, the maniac cop has vanished. He pulled a ghost face. He did. Ghost face. It's not the only time he's going to ghost face either. No, he, he, he definitely, maybe ghost face learned this from, from him. Actually, a spot here at the end where it's such a ghost face movie, you would think maybe there was two of them. No, no. It's clearly not, but I'll mention that when it when we get to that spot. But one thing I, I will say is I think Officer Mallory was lying like a motherfucker when she said I hit him in the head at least twice. Every shot I seen, everything was like in his stomach and chest. I mean, I, I don't know. She's, upper chest. she's pretty close, and there was a lot of camera shots of just her squeezing the gun. Like we only seen like two or three of the rounds she shot. Yeah, but they go they go from that shot to him getting shot over and over again, and all the shots are going in the same area in his like upper stomach. So unless like in the middle of one of those shots, she just snuck one up in the head, because I was very confused. I'm like, if two people are unloading their entire magazine into somebody's chest and it's having no effect, why wouldn't you shoot him in the head? Well, I mean, you know, he he is he is like actually a zombie, so I mean, it wouldn't wouldn't matter either way. So you can't He's kill kind him. of a zombie. Frank suspects that because Jack is being set up and Teresa is Jack's only alibi, that is why Teresa was targeted tonight. He asks her who all she told about her and Jack's relationship, and she says she only told one person, Sally Noland, who also works at the police station. Frank goes back down to the station and tells Sally about the attack on Teresa. She pretends to act concerned, and Frank is definitely on to her. Bro, Sally looks like she hates her fucking job more than anybody I may have ever seen. And she's dragging that leg everywhere too. Like she looked miserable, absolutely miserable. And if there was ever somebody hiding something, it's it her. Was her. <laughs> she's absolutely terrible. Yeah, she's she plays um, the character really well, like that person that's in some kind of administrative thing where you go to get something and you're just like, why are they such a fucking asshole or bitch? Like. You know, like, I'm just trying to get this information, and why are they making it so fucking difficult? That is, yeah, that is that, that's her, and she plays that part very well. And then the, the nervous part, too. Like, you can definitely tell by the end of this scene that something is, uh, she's worried about something when she realizes that they're kind of on to her. Yeah, and man, this shows, like, how good of a detective Frank is. Because he knew to go there and like rattle that cage just enough to, you know, make her, you know, do what she's about to do next. Like he he's on it, man. Like he Bro, knows what's he's no is every step he's on it. Frank may be the best detective that ever lived. He, yes, he has been he be. the entire time in this movie. He called it in the beginning that he thought it might have actually been a cop killing people, not these two people who were seen by a witness 
And then this girl ends up dead. He's like, no, it's definitely a cop. I'm going to believe these two criminals that were trying to mug her. Yeah, and that's super rare. Most cops are like, there's no way it's one of us. Yeah, because that guy seen him and identified those two as, as fighting with her. And then he, like, this cop ends up, keep in mind, he thinks it's a cop. And then this cop wife ends up dead in a hotel room. And it very clearly looks like he did it. And he's like, nope, he's covering up for somebody. He didn't do it. Yeah, and he even interrogates Jack. And it seems like he thinks Jack's the killer. Even to the point where, you know, Captain Ripley thinks that, you know, he thinks Jack's the killer. And then they go to the bar and he's like, yeah, you know, I you know he I know he's the killer. And then, um, you know, Frank's like, well, actually... I don't think he is. Yeah. 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 This dude may, like I said, he may be the best detective. You, can you imagine, he, fr- can you imagine Frank in like a scream? Yeah. Just there tell, there he, wouldn't be no scream. He just tells Sydney like 20 minutes into the movie, like, hey, it's probably your boyfriend and probably his best friend. Yeah. There's definitely two of them <laughs> picked up on that too. Uh, oh man. Yeah. He just ruined the whole movie. <laughs> This guy is so good at his job, it's almost a plot hole. He'd probably be like, it's your boyfriend and his best friend. And your mom had a kid years ago that she neglected to tell you about. And he probably put your boyfriend up to it. You should look into that. (laughs) Like, yeah, and that that little cousin you got? Keep an eye on her. Yeah, I know she's probably like two years old right now, but keep an eye on her. Keep an eye on that fucking baby over there. Jill. Later on, we see Frank following Sally in her car. She drives to an old abandoned dock. Back in the 70s and 80s, a lot of crime went down at the docks. Like, what, what was it about the docks back then that just crime happened there? It's just a good crime spot. I guess. He sees uh, Sally get out of her car and walk over to the maniac cop. We hear her begging him to stop killing innocent people and just go after the ones who did him wrong, like the mayor and the commissioner. She pulls off one of his white gloves to reveal the skin on his hand is rotted and deformed. Frank accidentally knocks over a piece of wood and Sally immediately pulls her gun and yells, who's over there, and starts firing rounds towards where Frank is hiding. But she don't, she don't fuck around. Like, that could have been a kid, or a dog, or that security guard. And she could have just killed somebody over there. Like, she didn't even, like, she's just firing fucking rounds into the shadows, like, into the, into the nighttime. Yeah, uh, she definitely didn't hesitate. I will say... That this is the only weak point of Frank in this entire fucking movie. You did all this like awesome detective work. You snuck in through a gate that for some reason Sally left open, which was dumb. Um, She's got that leg. Yeah, she didn't didn't feel like dragging her leg around to close it back. But he does all this sneaking around, tracks her to the killer, is listening to them have a conversation about him being the killer... He's trying to find out who it is, and then right when they get to that point, he knocks over a goddamn piece of wood. Yeah, but that I did such a movie thing. I want to give him props though, because she starts firing bullets over there, almost hitting him like three times. 
and he doesn't give his position away. No. He's calm. He is calm. Yeah, that's impressive. But not calm when he knocked that fucking wood over. Like, maybe, damn. Maybe that was the wind. And he it just happened to be just was uh-huh. there. Then the movie, they make it look like he kind of bumped it while he was squatted down. He He's older. He's not as, you know, his reflexes ain't Probably as good as he used to some, be. Some of that uh, vertigo. Oh. Probably got some of that goddamn vertigo. Maybe you know it's how it gets when you get old. So she stopped shooting, thinking it was just a stray cat. And she she's shooting over there, and the cat goes meow. And she's like, "Oh, I just killed a cat. It's fine." <laughs> um, turns back around to the maniac cop, who she calls Matt, but he he ghost faced it out of there again. He's gone. The next day, Frank heads to the records department at the station to look up info on a former police officer named Matt Cordell. Cordell was in the news often for big-time busts and taking major criminals down. He was many, including Frank's, hero before tragedy struck. Apparently, Cordell was charged and found guilty of violating many people's rights. Frank says, I don't know about that. I guess killers have rights. I said the that pesky constitution just handing out rights to everybody. <laughs> yeah, goddamn constitution. You you can tell Matt loved some police brutality. Oh yeah, they, he said he's like he he was the kind of officer that shot first and asked questions later. And I'm like, oh, so if he was around now, he'd be one of those guys that'd be on the news for like killing like a 15 year old kid in a bad neighborhood. Like he'd be that guy. Yeah, and he would get away with it. Yeah, and he would be acquitted. Yeah. Uh... It's it's sad because that was like glorified in Back the late eighties. Yeah. yeah, that that's glorified killing people. Although a lot of them were innocent people, or did something that you know completely didn't deserve to die for. But yeah, he was found guilty and put in prison, where eventually he was murdered. Frank comments on how Cordell had no wife or children, but the records officer tells him that he did have a serious girlfriend that was also a cop. And after he was put in prison, she was so distraught that she threw herself out of a window during a suicide attempt. The fall didn't kill her, but it did cripple part of her body. Sound familiar? Think it might be Sally. Yeah. Yeah, definitely seen that coming. That night at Pier 14, we see that even the zombie maniac cop has to take naps. We see him laying there in the dark, and we start to get a flashback memory sequence of Matt Cordell's time in prison. It shows that he was very well known by the inmates, and one night while taking a shower, three men came in and attacked him. He fought them off for a while until finally one of the men stabbed him in the back with a shank. They should have started with the shank. Yep, they should have they should have started with the shank. I don't know why it took them so long to maybe one of them was like, I got the shank in my ass. Hold on, I gotta get I, you take on you take on Cordell. I'll get the shank out of my ass over yeah. here. Yeah, somebody toss me the soap he's holding. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta poop the shank out. <laughs> I gotta 
<laughs> I gotta lube this thing up. <laughs> I don't know how you would get a shank out. I assume you poop it out. Well, I don't know how you would get a shank in. It's a fucking shank. <laughs> have to put it in backwards. That's what you'd have to do. I feel uncomfortable would, now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, do, do, is it is it worse putting it in backwards and then having to get it out, or putting it in forward, but an easy easy exit? Um, if you're a listener and you've put a shank in your ass and you have uh, the answer to this question, feel free to let us know. This caused Cordell to fall back against the wall and slide down into a sitting position. <laughs> Sit shitting position. <laughs> like the guy who shit the shank out in the corner of the showers. Yeah, the guy should have shit the shank out a little fucking faster Maybe because his buddy's got their fucking ass beat. Maybe there was a fourth guy and the three guys were fighting and the fourth guy was sh- like, he was, I'm almost done shitting the shank out. Just hold him off a little longer. I feel the tip. Hold on. <laughs> um, the, uh, there, the three men begin to stab Cordell in the face multiple times until he was dead. They So at the end, when they're all stabbing him in the face, they all got shanks. So there was multiple he, shanks he that had, had to, to be shit. He had to shit three shanks out. <laughs> I got one shank here. I'm working on the second one. You know... You know, after they show him getting shanked in the face and there's the shot of all the blood running down the drain, that wasn't from Frank's no. face. <laughs> that was from getting the you mean, shanks out. You mean out. Cordell's face? Oh, yeah, Cordell's face. That was from them getting the shanks out. The other guy stands up. He's like, I feel so much better now that I got all them shanks out of my ass. Like, <laughs> God, I feel like I could stretch and move around now. Like, it's a, so do I get to be in the crew now? I did all four shanks, guys. Come on. Um, The next day, we see Frank and Teresa visit Jack in an interrogation room. They explain to him that they believe somehow Matt Cordell is still alive and now killing people. Frank says he isn't sure how Cordell faked his death to get out of prison, but tomorrow he has an appointment with the prison coroner, Dr. Grupert. Frank decides to give Jack and Teresa some time to talk alone and he exits the interrogation room. We see him head up to Sally's office where he finds Cordell's white glove in her purse. As he is examining the glove, Sally sneaks up behind him and strikes him with her cane, knocking him to the floor. Frank rolls over to face Sally while on the floor and she begins to beat the ever-loving shit out of him while screaming, he's here, and I'm no good to him now. Bro, she fucking beat his, and she didn't just beat his ass for like, you know, four or five hits. This goes on for like 20 seconds. It does. Like, his, his wound in his hand is, like, bleeding down his whole entire goddamn arm. She pulled that, that cane out of her ass so fast. <laughs> <laughs> when she's hitting him, though, it sounds like it's, it's like, like a cane you would buy at the dollar store. Like, it has this, like, plastic hollow sound as she's hitting him with it. it you know, it, I'm, the second time that I did it, when I was writing the episode, I was actually looking at Frank's face during this. And and he like has an actual look of like good God, and I feel like he was like, when's this motherfucker gonna yell cut? <laughs> like is he gonna let her keep going with this? Like this is this is outrageous. She was like that lady who like didn't know that you had to kind of fake it in the movies. She's like I'm really beating the shit. Oh out yeah, she's she's full on going at it. 
Yeah, she definitely the the scene went on for. Had that been like a a, a good made cane, I guess you would call it, like a metal cane or something. Somebody would have been fucked up. <laughs> Sally then tries to escape without her cane, and while stumbling down the hallway, she comes across a police officer hanging in the hallway. Frank goes to help her back to the office when suddenly the maniac cop bursts through the door and pulls Sally in. Frank draws his gun and goes to go in after Sally. When he enters the room, he sees, and this is funny, he sees the maniac cop holding Sally from the back, slamming the front of her body into the wall repeatedly while she screams. I'm I'm pretty sure he was raping it, her. I was about to say, the reason it says funny, it kind of looks like he's fucking her to, de- to well, death. <laughs> well... I think that it was so obvious that it looked like he was fucking her to death that I feel like that had to have been the intention. And they just didn't make it obvious, maybe, because it would have got cut out the movie. No, but, this is a Grindhouse movie. Like, they didn't... This doesn't even have a rating. Yeah, but there's, like, a lot of kills and stuff that they, they use cinematography to cut. And eh, Maybe that was for practice. Maybe that was money-wise, uh, the reason they did did that with the kills, but... Yeah, definitely. Um, it was no accident that it looks like he is fucking her to death against the wall. She's like screaming. Maybe, maybe, maybe when she jumped out of the window and it was a suicide attempt after he was killed in prison, maybe he fucked her out of the window or <laughs> broke her leg. Did it, Did they say she jumped out of the window after he went to prison? Yeah. Or after he dies? In no, is that when he went to prison? Because actually, I thought of that same question after I watched like, it the did, first time. Did, did he break her leg? But um, no, she was so distraught when he was convicted and went to prison that she jumped. Uh, Teresa and Jack hear all this commotion. They buzz the officer outside to open the door but get no answer. They find the door is unlocked, so Teresa steps out to find the officer dead. Jack and Teresa panic and run out of the room and down the hallway where they keep finding more and more dead cops. Hanging from the ceiling somehow. There is one that's like hanging from the bars by his handcuffs. That looked cool. Yeah. You see him? He looked awesome. Yeah. Uh, but this is like when you're going through a haunted house yeah, yeah, I in thought October the same thing. and there's all these like mannequins hanging from yeah. the ceiling that you're just like bumping into. How did he hang him up so quick? You think he went in and like prefabricated some shit to hang him up on beforehand? Sure. He he did a Jason. Uh, we don't see the work that goes into Jason. No. Rigging all these people up in the trees and stuff. I can never get... This is just like Friday the 13th. I can never get the image of like that girl tripping Jason's like death garden <laughs> and him just peeking out behind that tree like, Oh shit. <laughs> just <laughs> meanwhile upstairs, Maniac Cop beats Sally against the wall until she is dead and then begins to beat the shit out of Frank. Jack tells Teresa to go outside and wait in Frank's car while he tries to find and help Frank. We cut to her sitting in the car in the parking lot when suddenly a body comes flying out of the top floor window. The man's body slams into the roof of a parked car and we see that it is Frank, and he is unfortunately dead. 
Yeah, this is this is the down. I the downturn of the movie right here was fucking shocked. I was like, they just did they just kill the main character of the movie? Because we've been following Frank the whole movie. He's the main character of the whole entire movie. Yeah, and he's dead. And yeah. I was like, we still have like forty minutes left to go. What the fuck? He is uh, the best character in my opinion in this movie. Uh, other than the maniac cop, who I think was done brilliantly, you said that so brilliantly. like <laughs> unconfidently, because <laughs> Br- I knew I was gonna fuck up saying it. Yeah. Anyway, this this was the down the downturn of the movie for me. Not saying it's all downhill from here, but this was definitely the worst part of the movie for me. Yeah, at this point in the movie, we're actually going to switch main characters from Frank to now Jack. Um, Frank Frank is, uh, unfortunately, he is actually dead. Yeah, our awesome hero Jack, who cheats and probably beats his wife, who has not seemed to have given a flying fuck about his wife being murdered this entire movie. Yeah, no, like this he, has not he, really affected him at he all. He never mentions or, or it even seems upset about his wife being murdered. He doesn't even really seem like he's that upset that he's accused of murdering her. Yeah. He's more upset that he's like, man, I had to give up fucking Teresa's name. <laughs> that seems like what's really bothering him. Yeah, so now this this awesome guy is our, is our new this hero. This awesome guy and homewrecker Teresa, who plays the greatest prostitute in New York is now our heroes of the movie. I actually think um Teresa is probably more of more of the hero than than Jack is, my opinion. Yeah. Jack, yeah I'm not a, not a Jack fan. Jack makes his way to the office and looks out of the window Frank was thrown out of. Cordell is nowhere to be found and when Jack turns around, he is apprehended by Detective No Name from the beginning. Jack punches him and escapes with his gun and upon exiting the building, he runs into two more cops, but makes them get on the ground as he takes off out of the front door. Did you catch um, the dialogue here when he when he's like, get on the ground or whatever, and he, he leaves with the two cops? Well, I seen it. I just watched the movie. What so, about the dialogue? So, yeah, he basically, he's like, I didn't do this. And they're like, sure, buddy. And he's like, get on the ground. And they get on the ground and he leaves. And then one cop asked the other cop. He says, uh, are you going to go after him? And he goes, no, he said he didn't do it. So there's a story behind that. So the story is that the writer, Larry Cohen, he only visited the set one day. And the and that day was the day they were filming this. And when he got there, he told the director, um, he said, uh, hey, I want you to change the scene around a little bit. Uh, when he's leaving, I want him to run into these two cops and I want him to basically say he didn't do it and then have the cops get on the ground. And then I want you to kind of pan at the cops, but I don't want the cops to move. And then after a couple of seconds, I want you to cut it. So the director is like, why? And he's like, you'll find out. So he does. So they film the rest of the movie. And then we go in um, in post-production and go to do the sound. Um, him and the director get together and they included this little funny line, but that's, that's actually the director and the writer. The, that's their two voices. Like that, that they're 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 doing that um, dialogue. But yeah, that was just a little thing that um, 
that he wanted to throw in there because he wanted to throw in there a couple little funny things here and there, but kind of like an Easter egg. Yeah. In there. Yeah. So that's the writer him. and director. Yeah. So that's, that's him and the director. Um, let's say that's their voices, um, doing that. You know, the actual actors didn't say shit. They just got on the ground. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. It's a cool little story. Um, my, my question about this whole scene here is, uh, so for some reason they were holding him at police headquarters we learn in the next scene. Does police headquarters not have a single camera? Back then, nineteen eighty eight. I don't know. <laughs> Plenty of cameras in nineteen eighty eight. Well, it's just a precinct. It's not like he says the police headquarters because I I had that in my notes. But in the next scene, whenever they visit the corner from the prison, he mentions the corner mentions all the dead bodies at. Police headquarters. Um, I I don't know. I guess not. I guess I guess in this movie, no, they don't. It's New York. They must not have been able to afford it with all their non-tax money that they got. So Jack and Teresa decide to try and still prove Cordell is still alive. Jack pretends to be Frank in order to attend the prison coroner meeting with Doctor Gruber. Dr. Gruber explains that normally they just bury the bodies in a field, but in Cordell's case, his body was claimed by a woman named Sally Noland. But before this conversation goes any further, he asks Jack to see his police identification. Jack and Teresa come clean and explain that Detective McRae was murdered the night before. They then accuse the doctor of helping Cordell escape prison by faking his death. Dr. Gruber explains that act that's actually not what happened. Cordell was brought in very, very badly beaten and stabbed. He was about to perform the autopsy and he dis- discovered Cordell still had a faint heartbeat. The problem was that Cordell was brain dead. Dr. Gruber says there was no possible way he could have ever recovered any brain function. He was technically legally dead. Then Sally Nolan convinced him to allow her to claim his body. Dr. Gruber then gets very angry and demands for them to leave. He says that if they leave now, he won't pick up the phone and tell the police that Jack was ever there. Dr. Gruber fucking sucks. This guy's so <laughs> full of fucking shit. He... he... For one, tries to cover his ass and is like, I didn't lie when I signed the death certificate. I was certain he was legally dead. If you were so certain that he was brain dead to the point of being legally dead, why did you just go on the whole that whole thing about how he was did wrong and you didn't want to see him put back in prison in general population because he was just going to be killed again? Why Why would any of this have been a thing if he was legally dead? I would love to see him go toe-to-toe with Frank. Like, I would have liked to see Frank be in this conversation. Frank would have known what this guy had for breakfast before yeah. he walked in the fucking yeah. door. He just said, there's no need to get your file. I already know. Nope. <laughs> so uh, then we jump on over to the St. Patrick's Day Parade. And... um. You know, we talked about a little little bit in the beginning, but this is all the original footage shot before the film even ever got funded. And um, also, uh, interesting fact, that is uh, Sam Raimi as the news, news reporter. Does a cool little cool little cameo. 
There is a uh, real quick shot of a few cops standing on a corner drinking out of a flask. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. So those had to be real cops because there was only four people from the movie there that day. The, mo- the movie wasn't even a real movie yet. That was just um, the writer, the director, Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi actually went to New York to film this parade to get funding for the movie. So those cops drinking out of that flask, those are real cops getting drunk at the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Bro, don't you know that the NYPD in the 80s gave them standard issue flasks? Flasks, yeah, probably. They had a little flask holder in their belt. Probably. Uh, Teresa goes to talk to the police commissioner about what they found out about Cordell while Jack waits around outside. She tells the captain and the commissioner about Cordell, but they pretty much think she is crazy. The commissioner tells another officer to take her to booking while he and the captain attend the parade. We then see that as the commissioner and captain wait for the elevator, Cordell comes up behind them and stabs them both to death. I actually really like this kill because I think it had great timing. Uh, I wasn't expecting I wasn't expecting them to get killed right there. I I didn't care for the kill. I wanted to see the commissioner actually get killed. I thought that he was so against the idea of this that I really wanted to see his face when he realized who he was being killed by. And he kind of just gets stabbed in the back and we don't really get to see it. Um, I hated the commissioner. I fucking couldn't stand him and I couldn't wait to see him die. Shaft. Yeah, I don't. Do you notice when they first shoot, uh, come to the scene, the commissioner is joking, telling the other cops about some fucked up shit he did to one of his cops' yeah, wives. Yeah, yeah he's. Guy, yeah, he sucks. Yeah, I mean, he's. Yeah, he's totally like Donald Trumping right now. <laughs> like, I grabbed her by the pussy. Yeah. And one of his cop buddies was like, "Well, commissioner, that is my wife." <laughs> like, this guy sucked. Yeah, I, I liked the kill because I thought they were just going to go get in the elevator and we would, I don't know, see them later on or something. I was not expecting him to just knife them down right there. And then I also really liked the, the shot itself um, where you get, where there's just enough glass in the door for you to see what's happening. Like, cause, cause you see him, he takes the commissioner out first and then you see Captain Ripley in his, you know, fucking graggly voice. He punches Cordell and it doesn't fucking phase him. And he fucking stabs him like multiple times. Um, I, I just liked the shot, man. I, I, and I wasn't expecting the kill either. I, I enjoyed it. I could see from a, a cinematography standpoint, it, it was a cool, it was a cool shot. How they had the glass in the doors, and you've seen just enough of it. I just wish that it would have been somebody else, and we would have gotten to at least see the commissioner get to die up close, because he's a fucking pastored character this whole movie. I would have liked to have gotten to see his face, like maybe him get stabbed in the stomach or something, and get to see his face when he realizes who who it was. Because you remember, that's a big... Part of why uh, the maniac cop came back was mm-hmm. to kill the commissioner and the mayor for doing what they did to him. So I felt like that would have been a really good, really important part of the movie to actually show him killing the commissioner. We um, we also get this really cool close up of Cordell's like bloody, veiny red hand. 
Yeah. And it looks awesome, especially holding like the big bloody fucking knife. His like, hands fucking dope. Yeah. This is this is this is uh I like this whole this whole little chunk right here. It's cool. Uh, so as the cop escorts Teresa down to booking, we see Cordell come around a corner and stab him to death. Teresa ends up trapped in the commissioner's office with Cordell breaking down the door. She has only one option, and that is to climb out of the window and onto the front of the building. She throws a chair, breaking the glass, which alerts Jack and all the police down below of what is going on. The SWAT team down below notices Jack and immediately arrests him and places him into a police van. Teresa sees this and starts making her way down the fire escape. Right after Jack is locked in the van, we see Cordell walk over, jump in the driver's seat, and speed away with Jack in the back cuffed. Bro, how did Cordell get down there so fast with all... uh, there's two of them, I'm telling you. There's two Cordells. One died and one almost died. <laughs> and, and now there's two of them. Like, he is upstairs at the very top of this building. Officer Mallory runs down, starts climbing down the fire escape, and before she can even get to the bottom, he's not only went downstairs through the whole building, there's a whole, like, team of cops running up up to the top where they seen the, the glass break and somehow gets past all these guys and to this truck. There's two. Yeah, yeah, there could be two. It's cop face. Maniac cops. Cop face. Teresa runs over to another officer who is sitting in his car. She gets in and orders him to chase the van. We then get this old school, badass, balls to the wall car chase. I was not expecting an old car chase scene in this movie. No, this this is was, where uh, this turns into an action movie. I I was I was digging the car chase. Uh, there's like cars smashing into each other, fucking Tokyo drifting that big ass fucking police van. Um, there's a car that does a flip. Uh, the cop car gets some air at one point. Uh, Bruce Campbell is in the back getting fucking ragdolled. Um, We then see the van pull into Pier 14. Cordell gets out and uses an axe to start chopping at the lock on the back door of the van. The cop car pulls up and Teresa jumps out with a shotgun and runs inside to help Jack while the other cop calls for backup. Jack bursts out of the van doors and Cordell grabs him by the collar and lifts him into the air. And this is where we finally get to see the maniac cop's face. And it's pretty fucking gnarly. Yeah, I I thought they did a a great job on this whole... I I like that they kind of held this from us most of the movie. You get glimpses of it here and there. At least you get, like, his face being stabbed up in prison. But this is, like, the present-day version of him. And I like that they kind of keep it in the dark until the end of the movie. Uh, This is also, like, this movie went from a horror movie to a Fast and Furious movie and now to a Mortal Kombat movie, (laughs) all in the span of about two minutes. Uh, So his teeth are like broken he has these like huge 
long cuts on his face that look like they were like very crudely sewn shut. But they're like, like they, they still haven't healed. Like none of these wounds have healed. They all look fresh. Um, Sally couldn't sew. He has this, uh, this like one part under his eye where it's like the skin's kind of like folded over. Like it, it's pretty rough. Um, Teresa points the shotgun at him and demands he let Jack go. He throws Jack at her, knocking her to the ground and causing her to drop the gun. Cordell picks up the shotgun when suddenly the other cop bursts in with his own shotgun. We got two shotguns now. Finish him. He fires a shot at Cordell, but he misses like a chump. And then Cordell hits him with the one-handed pump action. Bro, how do you miss a shotgun shot from that Because he's a close? chump. He drove good. He didn't drive like a chump. Oh. I mean, dude was drifting around. Like, he seemed like he was he was doing pretty good considering all the circumstances he had. And then he, then he fucking missed with a, a shotgun from, like, 20 feet away. This dude goes flying, like, 15 feet back. Go ahead and fold the flag. Get the 21 gun salute ready. This guy is toast. I don't know. After that shot, I don't even know if they're they're burying him with honors. You don't get honors when you miss a shot like that. Jack does a half of a karate kick. <laughs> no, it's turned into fucking Mortal Kombat. He didn't even do like the full like kick. It's just like a half kick. Bro, there's there's bodies getting thrown a- across the room. Uh, the karate kick's going on. But he does the kick. He knocks the gun out of Cordell's hand. Cordell slams Jack, but then hears police sirens getting close. And he says, hell nah, I ain't going back to jail. He jumps in the van and speeds off. Jack gets up, runs, and jumps on the side of the van. He's attempting to choke Cordell while he is driving. As Cordell fights him off, he runs into a ship's mast that is just hanging off of a pole. This mast goes through the windshield and into Cordell's chest. Cordell screams in pain as the van ramps off of the end of the dock and slow motion crashes into the water. And that fucking stuntman who did the backflip off the van as it was ramping off the dock, you deserve a standing ovation because that was badass. Yep, yep, you just stole my whole fucking notes on that. Uh, it was clearly a real guy that jumped oh, yeah. off of it, and it like huge props to him because there's, I mean, even as a stuntman, there's not really much you can do to prepare for this stunt, and it almost looked like it, it almost went wrong. Well, he like, does like you- a backflip, and then there's his, he's so high that it stops being a backflip, and it just turns to him just like ragdolling through the air. Yeah, and he lands like really close to the truck. And it looked like it 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 really almost went wrong. I would like to uh talk to that stunt man if anybody out there knows him and he is still alive. I would like to I'd like to interview him. Yeah. That. that that was my favorite part of the whole movie. Dude, that was, was that guy doing that. That was, that was fucking awesome. I wouldn't say it's my favorite part of the movie. Uh definitely not not very horror, very action like. The end of this movie is definitely more of an action movie, but man, that, I mean, I just give them props for them even even having that done to find somebody willing to do that. 
Like, I feel like even for stuntmen, that, that one's, like, super dangerous to do. There's not much faking you can do for that. We see Jack has survived the crash, and the police use a crane to pull the van out of the water to recover Cordell's body. But guess what? No motherfucking body. And we then hear some ominous music start to play as the camera pans down to the water where we see Cordell's hand grab the dock. And that's the end. And we got to get a moment of silence for our boy Frank McCray. I feel like most of the police force would still think Jack was the killer. Or at least in yes. on the killing. Yeah, I I feel like when when they pulled it up and there was no maniac cop, they'd be like, "Yeah, you're still you're still the killer." <laughs> yeah. So so I went you back. Have no evidence. <laughs> I went back and I was thinking about it. Like you know, how would they know that it wasn't him? So the only witnesses that it wasn't him was the other cop who was driving, Officer Mallory or Teresa. Uh, he's dead. He's not there. And then the one cop that he, I'm pretty sure, kills, but he takes him and throws him. He throws him out of the uh, truck when he steals the truck. But I even rewound just to make sure because that group of cops uh, puts Jack in the back. But when he steals the truck, they're gone. They've already took off inside. There's nobody around that truck except the guy who's in the driver's seat who I'm pretty sure dies when he tosses him. So that leaves uh, Officer Mallory, who they already don't believe, because she's already tried to tell him it, it's, it wasn't Jack. Uh, I, he would be going to jail. Well, well so it, for all would, this. Would, so would she, though, because like she was up there with the commissioner and that cop that arrested her and the captain. Like Obviously, Jack couldn't have killed all them. He was down on the street when all that happened. So, you know, she, you know, she would be also labeled a murderer she would go to jail as well yeah i think even if they thought that there was another killer they would be almost guaranteed that jack was in on the killing at this point because uh when you when you pull up a van or a a armored police truck and he's the only body recovered and you have all these dead cops there's there's no way this guy wouldn't be going to prison well um, they're in the, they're in the sequel, so maybe, maybe, maybe that, um, police station did have cameras and they finally got the footage back and realized that, you know, he didn't do it because yeah. they're, they're, um, not in jail in Maniac Cop 2, so. Yeah, I feel like they would, they would throw them in jail as a scapegoat <laughs> just, just because how does the, how is the police going to explain this to the public? Well, especially explain the fact that they don't know where the fuck he is either. Yeah. Like, he's still somewhere. Well, we thought he was dead. We told everybody he was dead. But he wasn't really dead. He was out killing people still. And now we've lost him. We have no idea where he's at. Oh, and he killed the commissioner. And the police captain. Like, the captain of, of all the police in the whole city. You know, one thing that I don't really get? So, I know he targeted Jack due to Teresa telling Sally about the affair, so he figured he'd be an easy scapegoat, and he set that whole thing up. But what I don't get is why he needed a scapegoat. He was never considered a suspect. 
As far as everybody knew, he was dead. And if you were going to use a scapegoat, why at that moment? Like, why not after you killed the commissioner and everybody you needed to kill? Maybe, maybe them arresting Jack would, you know, the commissioner and them, their guard would be down because they, you know, somebody would be, I don't fucking know. I don't, I don't, I don't think that hard into the the plot. I don't think it was that, that thought out. It was really meant to be a, you know, what happens if a cop came back from the dead and killed people? I think that was really just, it was that simple. So I don't know. Well, I did think that was the plot. <laughs> and uh, that was one thing I just, I, I thought there was going to be something in the movie early on when he first like pins it on him of why he pinned it on him. And then you find out that he only pinned it on him due to the connection that Sally knew Teresa and knew about the affair. So there there was no other connection there other than him being just an easy scapegoat. I mean, the dude's not afraid to, I mean, he's, he's not worried about the heat. Like this shit's in the news. Cops are getting killed and he's still out there in broad daylight. Like, Fucking ripping people out their I mean, they can't. They can't even kill him. Like yeah. he's literally invincible. So I, he, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, the SWAT team could surround him and shoot him, and it wouldn't. He could just leave. Yeah, he could just be like, um, um, I'm out. They could drive a boat mast through his chest, <laughs> and he would still swim away. So, um, actor uh, Robert Zadar, who played Matt Cordell, aka the Maniac Cop, worked as a police officer in real life for the Chicago Police Department. That's interesting. Yeah, he, he's done a bunch of um, kind of B-movies and uh, like Grindhouse movies, horror, like B-horror movies. He, he was in a bunch of them. And um, he's passed away now, but um, he was actually, from what I understand, a really cool guy. He would go to conventions. He would do interviews. Like he would, He was one of those dudes that never got tired of talking about the horror movies and stuff that he was ever in. Yeah, so this guy was apparently a B movie, uh one of the one of the biggest B movie yeah. stars there were. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was huge, uh very widely known in B movies and a lot of cult horror movies. Yeah, I, I watched a couple interviews with him, um just with him sitting down with, you know, essentially a local radio personality or like a local horror fan that just recorded it and um man he treated he treated everybody as you know like this was a even like a big time interview like he didn't treat anybody lower class or anything he always answered like yeah just pretty much what you would want to to meet if you met somebody from movies that you really liked so for for people who don't really know the background of this guy and have seen this movie so the maniac cops, his face is obviously all fucked up, but his his face is really big. His like jaw is really big. Um, that actually wasn't makeup. This guy actually had a disease in real life that caused his bones and his jawline to grow really big, uh, which m- made him like really good for a lot of those B movies that they used. A lot for. of villain roles. He yeah. did a lot of villain roles. Yeah. Um, so do you, you remember Cassie from the beginning? You know, the, the one who had all the latest jokes. Oh, yeah. The bad timing woman. Yes. So she was played by an actress named Jill Gatsby. And she is writer Larry Cohen's actual daughter. 
and she gets killed in every one of his movies that he casts her in. <laughs> That's better than the Sherry Moon zombie. <laughs> She's oh, not yeah. the hero in every movie. Yeah. He's like, I'll cast you in it, but you know, you know the deal. You got to be murdered. You know, that's, that's kind of cool. I would be stoked if my dad was a director and killed me in every movie he did. Well, he's a writer, but uh, a writer. I don't know if he ever directed, but his main his main thing is he he's a um, he's writer. a filmmaker. He's a in filmmaker. In some way. Yeah, that would be... Well, William... You would think he'd have to have some type of say-so in the directing of the movie. He may not be the main director, but you can write a movie how you want, but... You, you you know just as the writer doesn't mean you get to cast everybody and uh William Ludzik had nothing but amazing things to say about him and he said basically everything that he really learned that was important in the movie business was from Larry Cohen and um he said that one of the one of the really interesting things is every project he ever worked with Larry Cohen on was was fast like Larry Cohen got shit done fast because he had been in the film industry for so long and um he said that essentially you know he called him up and told him this maniac cop idea and they went to lunch and this was like in February and he said they were shooting they were shooting um in March they went and you know shot stuff for it in March he said the movie was completely done sound everything in six months from that meeting at that lunch to it being completely a finished film was only six months long. He said, Larry Cohen knew how the, the whole entire business worked and he didn't fuck around, but he was a really nice guy. He was never an asshole, but he, they would sit down and agree that this is what the movie was going to be. The only thing in this movie that they um, disagreed on was the maniac cop. Uh, Ludzik wanted Zadar to be to to do that because he's seen him in another movie and he thought he would be perfect to be the maniac cop but um Cohen actually wanted a more like he described it as a more like dancer or somebody that was light on their feet and they couldn't after searching for a while they couldn't find anybody that Larry Cohen that matched his description of that um he almost sounded like he was more like describing like a fucking ninja like a ghost face? Yeah, like a, yes, yeah. exactly. Like, like a, a more face. like a ghost face. And um, he said that after a while, he said, yeah, just go ahead and, and, and cast the guy that you want to cast. So that's how we got the really big, tall version of the Maniac Cop. Yeah, I think Zadar was definitely the, the right pick. Uh, I think the big, menacing, fucking giant, scary-looking cop was the way to go for that. So the New York medical examiner who examined Cassie's body, yeah, the the, shitty, the, the mullet, the oh, mullet no, guy, no, no. Yeah. mullet. Yeah. Um, he is played by a man named Barry Brenner, and he was director William Lutzik's real life doctor. <laughs> so yes, so a real doctor had that mullet. Yes, I looked him up, and and he his real life doctor pictures from back then is with that mullet. Please tell me that you there's a picture of now and he's just like Dog the Bounty Hunter. He's like 60 years old with the with the, his mullet's been growing ever since then. No, there is pictures of him now and no, he did chop the mullet off long ago. He 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 cut the mullet off when he threw the fanny pack away. When he stopped doing the cocaine and he put the jack down, I think he got rid of the mullet. Damn, that was into that. 
But yeah, he cast his real life doctor. So when I first read that, because I had to figure out which doctor it was, and I originally pictured the prison coroner, because that makes he more looks sense. Like a doctor. Yeah, and I was like, no way, it's the mullet guy. Doctor bumps a that lot. That was describing like her fucking like thorax, like with a spoon, just shaking it. Like yeah, it's just shaking around in there. I'm like, that's not, <laughs> that's not medically accurate at all. Okay, yeah, so. The yeah. mullet was not either. He barely got through med school with that thing. So because of the very short pre-production period, they didn't really have time to fine-tune the Maniac Cop's makeup. This is why throughout the film, you can see slight differences in the uh, makeup design. It is also why they hide his face throughout the movie in shadows. And this issue, unfortunately, carries on over into the sequel as well. So, yeah, they said that um, the reason that you don't see, you don't get that face reveal until the end is because they they couldn't really figure out, settle on what his face was going to look like. Well, I, I think that was actually good for the movie. Yeah, um, they do talk about it in an interview, yeah. I don't think for, like, a sequel and a third one, that would necessarily be a good thing because we know what he looks like now. But I think for the first one, I think holding that that look, having that that mystery of who this is and what does he look like, and I thought showing his hand all fucked up was brilliant because it makes you wonder even more. Like, what is if his hand looks like that? What does this guy's face look like? So I thought I thought that worked out very well. Yeah, so in the second one, his face isn't, like, hidden the whole movie, but um, the makeup is, uh, if you look at the detail of the makeup, like, you're one of those people, like, the people that can spot every difference in Jason's masks and stuff like that, you can see that um, they didn't do it exactly the same every time, but this one, they had to actually hide his face in the shadows because they, they weren't sure exactly what they were doing it's because it just it happened so fast but i mean shit you look at the different nightmare on elm streets and even with as much money as they had every movie uh, he has a different skin yeah so you know for the movie being made on a million dollars i don't think that's a big deal at all to to keep the continuity between the first second and third one would, would be really difficult uh, it even it, it, it's just very difficult for big budget films. They didn't have a very big budget at all, and I would imagine when they made this, they had no idea that there was ever going to be a second one made. Oh no! I mean, it only got fifty theaters, yeah. and then it lost a ton of money. And, and thank God there was a home video market that exploded for horror. Uh, so Bruce Campbell admitted that the only reason he did this film was because he needed the money. <laughs> and unfortunately, he has admitted that he believes the film wasn't any good. Well, damn, Bruce, that's why we all go to work. Yeah. <laughs> the only reason I do my job is because I need the money. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Damn you, Bruce. And then he said he didn't think it was that good. And I'm just like, I, I mean... What? Uh, I don't know. I don't think it's a bad movie. I, I don't know where he really gets that. I mean, cu- coming from a guy who 
I know people are going to hate the fact that I will say something negative about Army of Darkness, but he goes back in time to the fucking Middle Ages and fights claymation skeletons. I mean, come on. Yeah. The, uh, uh, I'm not going to say I'm Army of Darkness huge is bad, of, but... Of, well, I'll say it's bad. That's my opinion. I, I don't care for it. And we all have movies we like and that we don't like. And I'll take this movie more serious than that. So, moving on. Uh, so, kill count and ratings. The total kill count is uh, somewhere between 17 and 20. It's not exactly sure. Mostly because of the fucking um, uh, police station scene. You have Cassie, who's next snapped. Sam, who um, that is the f- boyfriend who got his face slashed with the car. Unnamed musician who got his face shoved in wet cement. Um, Officer Davis, who was shot in the head by the woman. Ellen, whose throat was slit by Officer Matthews. So that was uh, fucking Jack's wife. Unnamed police officer who was hung. Sally, whose face was repeatedly slammed against the wall, a.k.a. she was fucked to death. Unnamed police officer. Unnamed police officer. Unnamed police officer. Three uh, unnamed police officers. Um, Frank, whose hand slashed, head bashed, thrown out of a window. Commissioner Pike, who was uh, stabbed with baton sword. Ripley, stabbed with baton sword. Fowler, who was stabbed in the gut with baton sword. Unnamed watchman, who was ran over by the police van, which was a security guard. I totally forgot about that. (laughs) Brimmer, who was, uh, that was the guy who missed with the shotgun, and then he got shot. And then they list this other person that i don't understand jerry that is the last kill of the movie who the fuck is jerry jerry wasn't you you already mentioned the the cop who was driving the car that's not jerry that's bremer it says jerry stabbed with baton sword by office officer matthew matt cordell that was the last kill it was right after bremer who was shot with a shotgun I don't know. There wasn't a post-credits, was there? I don't know, but I've heard there's an extended version of this, but obviously I don't have it. Or Amazon cuts you off in the credits, and that's what I watched it on. So if there was a... I watched it on Tubi because they pay us. So, good going. (laughs) Well, last I heard, Tubi wouldn't write us back, so I watched it on Amazon. As long as they write the checks, that's all that matters. Yeah. Sorry, Tubi. Uh, We haven't mentioned Tubi in a while. Uh, We've been on a run of movies that Tubi don't have. I don't know who who Jerry is. Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know if this is a mistake or not. All I can think of is it's either post-credits, which I feel like post-credits weren't super popular or common in 88. So I, I don't think that, but it's possible. Could have been a deleted scene. Or extended version. It's kind of the same as a deleted scene. But I I definitely 100% don't remember anybody else being killed after the shotgun. Unless there was somebody on the the pier. No, I I, I rewound it and and watched. There's nobody after the shotgun. That's it. It's in the movie. Maybe there was a guy swimming in the water. The, the van landed on a guy that was fishing. <laughs> maybe, maybe that stunt guy's name was Jerry. Uh, <laughs> Threw him in there. All right, so rating. 
Oh, wait, no. No, we got favorite kill, favorite kill next. Oh, shit. Neither one of us picked this movie, so who goes first? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll go. All right. Considering you did the last one. I didn't even one. think about that. Um, The best kill was kind of difficult for me, but I'm going to go with the maniac killer himself getting shanked, ass shanked, to death <laughs> in prison. Uh, I really like that. I I did also really like the guy who got his face and neck slashed and thrown on the the hood of the car just because the blood uh, coming through the window and shit. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I was wrong. The maniac killer himself getting ass shanked. Uh, yeah. So I had a I I had a hard time because I was like. I thought the same thing is like I want to pick I want to pick the maniac, but I was like, oh, can I do that? So, yeah, I, I will pick that as well. But the one that I had actually put in place of that was actually Frank, and that was because I was fucking shocked. Like I was floored by that kill. Like I was like, no, 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 no. Like when he was falling out of the window, I was like, that can't be Frank. Who the fuck else was up there? Yeah, I had is that the, Jack? I had this. The same exact thought. I I didn't realize it was a hundred percent Frank until they did the shot from uh, the bottom. Yep, and and I seen his hand where it was cut, and they had the wrap around his hand. I was like, oh my god, it is Frank. And then I thought, well, maybe he'll be in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> and then they said he was was murdered at the I, at the meeting, and I was like, Frank is dead. Fuck. Yeah, when I went to go put that in my notes, I I held off on saying he was killed because I thought that there's no way that they're going to kill him yet. Like, my two thoughts were there's no way they're going to kill him yet, and there's no way they're going to be able to explain him falling like five stories after getting his ass beaten living. So, how are they going to do this? Like, I will say they did the fall good, though. Yeah. They probably didn't make a concrete body. <laughs> Um, oh, that was a stunt good. man. Um, that was yeah. a stunt man. That's yeah. a far fall for a stunt guy. Um, yeah, I mean, it was my favorite kill, not because I thought it was like amazing or it looked the best. It was just, it was just so shocking. It was like the, it was the one thing in the movie where I was just like dumbfounded that it happened. And I give, I give them props for doing that because they pulled the rug out from under me. And not a lot of movies can can do that. Can really can do that um to me emotionally so yeah good job with that you know another kill that i i want to shout out i couldn't say it was the best kill but the first kill the girl getting picked up and her neck snapped and her thrown down thought that was just like super brutal with the with the way through it it was total like Jason Voorhees, he's done that kill. Oh, where he does multiple. it. Jason Manhattan, he does it to that um the Asian girl in the like dance yeah, floor. Yeah, yeah, and he yeah. fucking like throws the shit out of it. It it wasn't it wasn't that good. No, that that's legendary. It, yeah, it wasn't uh it wasn't Kane Hodder's Jason throwing throwing the girl on the disco dance floor that's on a boat, whatever that was supposed to be. All I can think about is that eighties ass guitar in that scene. But anyway, yeah, it wasn't that legendary. But the reason I really liked it is because it was right in the beginning of the movie, and I think it set a really good pace. Yeah. Um. All right, so rating. Well, I 
gave this movie a 3.2. Okay. Uh, This is one of those movies that didn't do anything, I thought, amazing, and it didn't do anything really bad either. Uh, I I really liked the Maniac Killer. I thought Zadar did an amazing job playing him. Obviously, Detective McRae, he was my favorite character. I hated that he died, and we are left with home-wrecking Mallory, (laughs) uh, Officer Mallory, and cheating Jack as the good guy heroes. I do wish we would have learned a little bit more about why uh, Matt was locked up so we could know kind of, you know, if his revenge was justified. But I do really like the idea of the dead, corrupt cop coming back as a serial killer who's out for revenge. That's a obviously a, a story that hasn't been done a million times. I thought it was really creative, and it made for a, a fun movie. I thought the pace was great. They jumped right into the killings. They killed a ton of people, which is always a huge plus for a slasher. I do wish we had gotten more practical effects and actually got to see more of the brutality of the kills. I hate the cinematography and the way that a lot of the death scenes were shot. And a lot of movies do this. Uh, Tons of movies, especially around this time, did it. I know they had to a lot of times for bigger budget movies. For the ratings boards, they had to cut a lot of the the brutality out. And I know a lot of movies did it to save money, so they didn't have to spend as much on practical effects. I felt like as far as the feel and the cinematography, through most of the movie, it's got the feel of a horror movie. And then the last like 20 minutes of the movie does not have that dark feel that the rest of the movie has. It has a very action feel to it i wish they would have kept that dark 80s horror feel throughout the end of the movie um but overall definitely worth a watch and you know it it was good enough to make me really look forward to seeing the second one i gave this movie a 3.6 um yeah i know i went a little high with it but uh i got i got a reason for it so I like the concept. I like the story. Um, I like the kills that we did see. There was a couple creative kills I thought was cool. I'm not a big cop movie guy, and I'm not a big action movie guy. But what won me over here was like the old school, like car chases and stuntmen and like the 80s horror, like combined. I like you know, the old car chases where cars are just getting fucking destroyed because they don't, they don't do a lot of that anymore. I like to see stuntmen fall out of a fucking, you know, four story building or a guy backflip off of a fucking van as it's crashing into the water. Cause we know that, you know, when that dude did that backflip off that van, that was fucking dangerous. No matter what they did to prepare for that, still super sketchy. Like, especially when you go and you, if you ever like look at videos or anything with like um with Kane Hodder and you hear some of the sketchy shit stuntmen do. And um yeah, so I I kind of like that old school stuff. I don't like action movies now because so much of it's green screen, CGI, computer effects, but when you can combine crashing fucking cars and stunt people and fucking uh like a, a zombie murderer um, and, and gory effects 
all together. And then there was some, some cop stuff in there. They actually had a cop I liked in there, which is uh, rare. I rarely like the cops in the cop movies. I liked it. I thought that the movie was just straight up fun. And that's why I rated it so high is because I had so much fun because there was so much different shit in it. And uh, that's why I rated it high it was really, I just had, I just had a good time. And um, I, I had a blast watching it and I look forward to the second one. I would say that I definitely disagree with Bruce Campbell. I don't think it's a bad movie. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Bruce Campbell, I'm sure has done much worse. Well, he needs the money. Yeah, <laughs> got to have the money. So uh, I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to attach the link for the interview um, that I got some of this information uh, from. Uh, I'm going to put that in the show notes. So if you're into uh, this movie or you're into this trilogy or whatever, check that interview out. There's um, there's also some other cool interviews like all over YouTube with uh, some of the other people that have stuff uh, affiliated with this movie. But I really thought this one interview was real interesting because it, it covers this movie plus um, a little bit of two and three. And he actually talks about what he thinks went wrong with the third one because I have heard that the third one's nowhere near as good as the first and second one. Um, we'll, we'll hit up the second one um, a little bit down the road. I'm looking forward to it. But uh, once again, we thank you guys for listening. Please give us a follow or a like if you enjoy the show. Check out the website. Check out the socials. Tell a friend, a family member, or you're back from the dead, trigger-happy, rights-violating zombie cop about the show. We hope to see you next time. Any last words? Y'all distract him while I pull this shank out of my ass. <laughs> Look at the size of those hematomas. <laughs>